Take your Bible and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4, would you please? 1 John chapter 4. What is perfect love? What is perfect love? How would you define perfect love? Or how would you figure out or how would you find out what perfect love is? Where can we find perfect love? If you do a quick search of the internet, like I did as an experiment recently, you will discover just over 49 million results in about eight-tenths of a second. Incredible, isn't it? Perfect love. Put that phrase in, not right now. Do it after church. Put that phrase in your favorite search engine and just see what happens on the internet. I came up with 49 million plus results in about eight-tenths of a second. That's what the results said anyway. It was faster than I can think. So a lot of people on earth are interested in this topic. A lot of people on earth are interested in finding out what perfect love looks like. And you find out that a lot of people think they can say a lot of things about what perfect love is, what it looks like, how to find it. If you do a search like I did, you'll find references to songs and movies and self-help books and novels and poetry and pictures and portraits and counselors and dating services and life coaches and discussion groups and radio stations and even, last but not least, Bible studies, churches and ministries and much more. Now, you can search the internet, and many of you have a phone in your pocket like I do this morning, and we could whip out our phones and we could do a search if we want to, but let's skip the search and go straight to the Scriptures, because that's where God wants us to go. We might use the search to help us find what we're looking for in the Scriptures, but the, and that would be fine, that would be acceptable. Let's go straight to the Scriptures this morning, because I'd like to skip the search engine and go straight to the Scriptures to find the source of perfect love. That's where God's people ought to be looking for answers to these kinds of questions. The Bible actually holds Incredibly enough, what the world is looking for, and far too often in all the wrong places, and if we're not careful, we'll be numbered among them. That's a reminder as we prepare to look at the text today, what we heard last week. It, it might seem like last week's passage, the passage that we looked at beginning chapter 4 last week, might it seem out of place right in the midst of where we were in these studies, and yet I think it fits perfectly because what we learned and heard last week was we must prepare ourselves to not be led astray by false teachers. And one of the things that false teachers will teach you is to look for love in all the wrong places. So let's not be duped. Let's go to the Word of God. Let's look together at 1 John chapter 4. And I want you to go with me to verse 7. I'm going to read through verse 12. So follow along in your copy of God's Word to see the source of perfect love so that we might not be led astray by the deceiver into false love. Of all people on earth, God's people should know what true love is, what perfect love is, what love perfected looks like. Beloved, says verse 7, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, speaking to God's people, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us And His love is perfected in us. So John, we're hearing him again saying, as we've heard him say earlier, that God's children, beloved, loved by God, God's children, are to love one another. We heard it in 1 John chapter 3. Go back and look at verse 11 in chapter 3. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Here in chapter 4, verse 7, we hear it this way, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. People who know God, people who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation are to love, are to be learning how to love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And anyone who does not love, says verse 8, look at verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. If you are a believer in and follower of Jesus, you're learning to love because you know God. You may not be showing it all the time, and you aren't perfect at this, but if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, if you're following Him, if you're a student of His Word, if you're reading the pages of Scripture, if you're humbling yourself before God in prayer, God is teaching you how to love. God is teaching you how to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Trusting in Jesus brings regeneration. You are made new. You're a new creature in Christ. Even though you still have the old earthly tent, this body that you carry around, and I'm telling you, I know what it is to carry around an older body. I know I, know I don't seem very old to some of you, but to some of you, guys who look up to me, right, the little guys at Vacation Bible School, look at that old guy with the gray face. Nobody said that, but I can, you know. Can. And then, you know, we loaded a truck, and Thursday I spent some time loading a truck. It was 83 degrees and 83% humidity. I checked. I didn't need to check, but I did anyway. And I was like, oh, now I know why I feel like I do. And then Friday we loaded the truck. Praise God for those guys who showed up and helped. It was so much easier on Friday. And then I got to Camp Barrichell, and about... Uh, Ten people showed up, and four of them were my boys. I was like, man, I am so glad that you're here to unload this stuff I put in the truck. Some of this stuff is yours. (laughs) And I am still feeling it. 
Yesterday, I was so tired, and yet we had one more van load of stuff. You see a picture of our little van stuffed to the gills. If you ever move, that's what your car is going to look like. Your last load is going to be just every little square inch. Carolyn came out of the house. He goes, wow, I'm impressed. (laughs) But we're feeling it, right? Why? Because in the flesh, we just don't have all it takes. But in the spirit that God has given us, in the spirit of God at work in his people, He promises to grow in us a love for His people. We need to submit to His leadership. We need to submit to His Word. But He promises by His Spirit to work in you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can bank on it. If you love God, you're going to start loving. You're going to be growing in love for His people. There is heart change that leads to life change when Jesus takes over. When Jesus moves in, when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in His people, heart change will lead to life change. We saw this same truth back in 1 John 2. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar. That's strong language, but that's the Bible. That's God speaking to us. And the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect this side of heaven, but it means we're changing. We're changing. God is changing us. God is perfecting us. God is making us like his son. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked in the same way in which Jesus walked. True faith in Jesus Christ without love is impossible. It's it's not possible. Regeneration leads to love because the believer in Jesus knows God and has the new nature, which is of God, that new nature. That's God in you. God is love. And John goes on in the passage before us to show how we know God is love. Look at verse 9. In this, you want to know how? In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son, the, the only son, his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He sent him into the world, not to live above the world and above people, but among people. And to experience what people experience who get worn out and get tired and need time alone and need to recuperate. Jesus felt all that. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. How do we know love? We know God's love by how God shows his love for sinners. We know God is love and we know that God loves sinners because God's love is demonstrated in in sending his son. He sends his son into the world. And I can think of four ways this demonstrates God's love for sinners. I was just going to list to you four ways and then I'm going to show you three more ways John talks about. But first of all, He demonstrates his love for us in that God sent his only son. Second, he also 
shows his love for us in the purpose for which Christ was sent, which was to be the sacrifice for sinners. It wasn't like God said, hey, let's try and experiment and send Jesus to earth to live among people. And then he got there and he said, you know what? Hmm, You know, it might be a good idea. Let's make him a sacrifice. No, God's purpose was for the Lord Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice for sinners. Thirdly, we see God's love for us through the sacrifice of his son, which makes it possible for us to be adopted. We cannot be adopted with our sins intact. We need to have our sins paid for. God did not require that, our, that we pay for our sins. He, he required that his son pay for our sins if we look to the son and put our faith and trust in him. And so it is in this way we see God's love for us through the sacrifice of his son, making it possible for us to be children of God. Isn't that incredible? Brothers and sisters with Christ. You ought to be overwhelmed by that. I don't see anybody jumping up and down. You don't have to do that, but... I don't see anybody praising God. We ought to be overwhelmed by that. Yes, we see a truth like this. That ought to move us to learn to love one another because God is so gracious to make us brothers and sisters with Christ, and that means you have siblings. Many, many, many siblings in Christ. And as hard as it is for us to get along, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to practice that. He wants us to work toward that. That's called obedience, by the way. Obedience to God's word. Walking in the light. Fourth, we see the love of God for us and that if we repent of sin and trust in Christ, we gain life through Christ. Yes, we're still carrying around these earthly bodies, right? We've been, on, we've been there, right? We, we're still carrying around these earthly bodies and we're still feeling the effects of them, but we have been born again and you are now living your eternal life. You're not waiting for eternal life to begin. You've been born again, eternally. Yes, your body may die before Christ returns. He's going to call you home. But you're living your eternal life already. You have new life now because without Christ, without Christ, without faith in Him, without His full and complete and necessary sacrifice, you are still dead in your sins. And I'm still dead in my sins. But we are not. If we have faith in Christ, we have eternal life now with Christ. But I told you, John goes even further in explaining. I gave you four things, four purposes I see, four reasons, four ways this demonstrates God's love for sinners. And I'm going to show you three more. John goes even further in explaining and defining God's perfect love for us. Look at verse 10 again. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So here are three more ways God sending His Son into the world demonstrates His love for sinners. And I share all these with you because I think even if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, especially if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes you can forget these. You can get so used to hearing them that you don't let them overwhelm you and challenge you and encourage you to be learning how to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Just think about what God has done for you and may this be compelling reason to you to learn to love one another. 
Here are three more ways God sending his son into the world demonstrates his love for sinners. Number five, we know God's love for sinners because he loves us even before we exist. That's what God's word says. Even before we exist, God loves us. God's wrath was poured out on Christ to spare us from God's just judgment for our sin. And for people living today, this is absolutely true. It, this happened before we existed. Here's a sixth way. We also more clearly see God's love for sinners in that he loves us before we love him. God does not look down from heaven and, and see into the future and say, I see a people who are going to love me. That's not what he does. He looked into the future and said, I see multitudes of people who will despise me and hate me and will be my enemies, and I'm going to save them anyway. Isn't that wonderful? God loves sinners before sinners love God. Romans 5.8 But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. In fact, God loves us while we are his enemies. Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And a seventh way that we see God's love for sinners is that God loves us so much that he sent his Son to be, big word, the propitiation. You don't use that word very often, do you? I'm so thankful that it's in the translation that I like. It's the English Standard Version. It's a good word. It's a powerful word. It's a necessary word. And you find a word like that, it makes you look it up and figure out what it means. God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's God placing the punishment that we deserve on his son, and his son is the full, acceptable, complete, total replacement. Not partial, not 99.999%, total replacement for the punishment we deserve. He puts it on his son. He's our propitiation. That's seven ways we see the love of God for sinners that shows us how to love, that shows us the kind of love that he is working in his children, growing in them. If you're a dad today and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is growing his love in you as a father and a husband, and he wants you to love your wife and your children in a, in a God-like way, in a Jesus-like way. Look to Jesus for how to learn how to love in those things. And though you will face challenges in your relationships, God is challenging us dads to grow in Christ-likeness day by day. And by the way, if you want to stick with the family illustration, the Bible uses this, this kind of imagery and language to show us the kind of love that he requires of us as husbands and fathers, it is a sacrificial love. As Christ gave his life for the church, so you give your life for your family. And that means, as we spoke of a few weeks ago, not just dying, as we think of sometimes, die, die for my family. Yes, you would. 
some, some bad thing were happening in your family, you would step in and give your life. But what God's word is calling us to is to sacrifice ourself. Be willing to put self aside and put our wives and our children first. There's a micro-sermon in a sermon there for dads. And I'm convicted by that myself. I need that. Seven ways we see the love of God for sinners. This is instructive to us as a church. To moms. To grandparents. To aunts and uncles. To children. You see how wonderful God's love is for us? Do you see how wonderful this is? You may not quite get as excited about it as I do because I've been thinking about this for a while and and here I am just unloading what I've been thinking about for a while. But I'm challenging you and I'm encouraging you to go home and read the passage again yourself and ask God to overwhelm you with the reality of his love for you through Jesus Christ because I don't think you're going to be compelled to learn how to love as you should until you're overwhelmed by God's love for you. We need to be overwhelmed by this daily, don't we? Are we realizing this, that, that this is something we need to be reminded of often? You see how wonderful God's love is for us? John draws a wonderful word picture of the love of God for us back in 1 John 3, 1. It's just this kind of amazement about the Father's love he points to when he says, See? I love 1 John 3, 1, starting with the word see. Look, behold, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. That's powerful. That's wonderful news. So why are we given all this detail about the depth and breadth of God's love for us? Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God wants you to be overwhelmed with his love for you through the Lord Jesus Christ so that you will joyfully go on your way learning how to love your brothers and sisters in Christ, even though it's not easy. And it takes work and effort and a a thing that that we don't really like hearing a lot, but, but you hear me saying a lot, is obedience to God's word. It's what God calls us to and requires of us with this clear view. Think of this with this clear view of God's love for us. John, kind of circling back now to admonish us to love one another. If you haven't heard that already, you're going to keep hearing this. Why? Because if God so loves us, if God loves us so much, that he sends his only son to die for our sins, showing his deep love and kindness and patience with us, then we in turn must learn to love one another. It is by God's example that we learn to love one another. And so you might think, well, is this love something that we're to initiate? Is this something that I have to put on and, you know, I have to start and do Well, yes, you know, God's Word says you are to pursue these things. You're to pursue obedience to God's Word. And so I I do see some involvement here. You are to put in some effort. You are to pursue love toward your fellow believers. But take heart. We are also to know 
even as we do this imperfectly, even as we struggle with this, and it's a challenge for us to get this right all the time, even, even as we deal with everyday challenges of life and we get anxious or we get tired or we get worrisome and we start to take our eyes off of our responsibilities, we start responding with an attitude and we start snapping at, at, at each other as hard as this is to show love at all times. We are to take heart because this love is actually not something we initiate. Yes, you're to pursue obedience to God's word. Yes, you're to seek to put on love. But what we're finding here in the scriptures is this is not something that we initiate. This love is not in our own wisdom. It's not in our own strength. This love for one another is fruit that the Spirit of God is is working in his children. It's evidence that the Spirit of God is living in his children. And it begins and, and grows in us as we take steps of obedience, as we put our eyes on Christ, as we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. We rejoice in that. God begins to grow us and initiate in us the love that we're supposed to learn and, and show. This love for one another is fruit that the Spirit of God living through his children begins and grows in us. And we ought to rejoice in that, knowing that it's not all up to us. We have love for one another ultimately because the Spirit of God dwelling in His children initiates and perfects this love. So when the world looks at the church, we're to be known for our lifestyle of love for one another. I heard of a church recently. Someone said, well, um, I I know about that church because I, I heard that that they had a split, and they, you know, so, so they all, you know, half the church went off and started another church. And I, I just knew I couldn't, you know, I, I shouldn't go there because they got problems. Does that sound like any church? I mean, that sounds like any church, doesn't it? That, that sounds like any church. That sounds like every church, a church that has problems. Imagine that. You know what a church that doesn't have problems? It's an empty church with no people. In fact, the church exists because we have problems, and we need to be together. God intends for us to be together. He intends for us to hear the word of God proclaimed, to be convicted in our sin of not loving one another, and to be corrected and set straight so that we grow in love, so that when the world looks at us and says, what is going on with those people? They are so weird. Because... We're like Christ. We're growing in Christ's likeness. Not perfect, but willing to repent of sin when we get this wrong and confess our sins to those we've sinned against and to ask for forgiveness and to set ourselves straight as we look to Christ and say, I want to grow in love as Christ demonstrates toward us through the cross. So when the world looks at the church... They don't say, oh, what a messed up group of people that cannot get along. I don't need anything from them. No, they, they see people who may, aren't perfect, but they see us growing in love, and they say, what is going on there? There's a bunch of strange people there learning how to love each other. That's not of this world. That's the way God intends it to be. This is what I pray for you as a church, even as our family prepares for our next phase of ministry. It's what I long for for you as the body of Christ in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, that you keep growing in your love for one another. 
that will be a compelling, powerful testimony in the community in which you live, work, and play. That your love will be ever-growing and always overflowing. That's what I long for and pray for as I think about your search and your search for your next pastor. And I, and I pray that God will, will give you a man of God who loves his word and will continue to challenge you to grow in your love for God's people. Because that love for God's people will overflow to the world who needs Christ. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 5.2, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That fragrant offering and sacrifice is pleasing to God. The aroma of that sacrifice is pleasing to God. But guess what? Guess who else smells the aroma of that sacrifice? The world around us does. And so we are to freely love one another, no strings attached, and not for what we get in return, but because God loves us and has shown us how to love and has filled us with his love through his indwelling spirit to teach us and to strengthen us, initiating his love in us, and then showing us the way in his word, showing us the way through his son. Now I want you to note in verse 12, John returns to the idea that people are to, people who are God's children Though they have not seen God, they can know they are God's children. They can know that God's spirit is living in them by the love they demonstrate toward fellow believers out of obedience to God. Look at verse 12 again. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. We're going to come back to this verse next week because there's so much to think about in this and it might seem a little bit confusing, but just think of this. No one has ever seen God. We agree with that? No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. There's an idea here. There's a sliver of truth here, a sliver of thought here that that tells us that though people don't see God, he, he wants them to see him through our love, that we become physical representations of God's love here on earth. That's God's intent. Clear evidence and clear evidence for believers. If you want assurance that you are Christ and, and the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, clear evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in you is your growing love for one another. It may not be perfect, but do you want to learn how to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you want to be obedient to God's word in this? Is your heart's desire one that longs to please God even as you struggle with getting it right? Because the kind of love that God shows to and gives to and grows in his children is not found in this world apart from the work of Christ. We've come full circle in the text. The whole purpose of this passage is to point to the kind of love that's possible as Christians and the kind of love that God intends for us to demonstrate to each other. This love for others is not self-initiated. It is God-initiated. This love is perfected by the work of God, the Spirit of God and His children. And that love which the Spirit grows in His children is confirming evidence of salvation through faith in Christ alone. 
And God's love at work in us is a large part of our growth in love. And so a large part of what we long to see in our lives as we learn to love one another, we must rest in the the fact that God is growing it in us. God is changing us patiently. God is patient. God is not, not quick to act at times. Sometimes he is what we think in our timing. He is slow to act, but he is about growing us and changing us in this. God's love at work in us is a large part of our growth in love, but we are also called to obedience. We're called to obey God's word in practicing the love of Christ. John has made that clear. We hear it back in 1 John 2, 5, but whoever keeps his word, that's walking in obedience to God's word, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. He also points to this truth in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. You might find them hard to keep, hard to obey, but you long to do that because you're God's child and his spirit is in you compelling you, initiating in you that this desire to, to be obedient. You see, the way the world defines perfect love is a mirage. It is filled with false promises. And that's why loving the world and the things of the world is such a trap, as John warned us back in chapter 2 and warned us to, to beware of false teachers here in chapter 4. But by the work of the Spirit, God's love is perfected in you when you obey His Word. God takes your step of faith and obedience and grows in you His, His love. We must learn that obedience to God's Word is the only way to live out God's perfect love. We can't say, we can't say, well, I'll just, since God initiates this, I'm just going to sit back and do whatever I want and see what happens. No, also, God also wants you to act in obedience. I think a, a fitting illustration of what the perfecting of God's love looks like in God's obedient children is summed up very well in something I read written by a pastor and author by the name of Tabiti Anyabwile. Tough name. Tabiti Anyabwile writes this in a little book he entitled, What is a Healthy Church Member? And this is, again, this is what I pray for you in the coming months as, as you... Keep your hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and you keep your eye on his word and you take steps of obedient faith and obedience to God's word and and you find joy in this. This is what I pray for you in the coming months and years as long as the Lord tarries and as you serve together here and this is what I pray your next pastor will continue to challenge you toward. Tabiti Anyabwile writes, God's children living out the love of Christ toward one another looks like Believers who attend church regularly. It seems pretty simple. Attend church regularly. He says, because we need to be present and known, and we need to know each other and be active in the church to make Christian love possible. That might be your first step. Maybe you're not consistent, regular as a family in the attendance of church. I would encourage you, challenge you toward that. Be faithful in church. He says, they seek peace. A committed church member is committed to the maintenance of peace in the congregation. Make peace a priority. He says, they edify others. The one consistent purpose or goal of the public meeting of the church is 
mutual edification, building each other up in the faith. A healthy and committed member comes to serve, not to be served, like Jesus, to provide, not to be a consumer only, to provide, not just consume. He says, they warn and admonish others. They are committed to speaking the truth in love to their brothers and sisters, helping them avoid pitfalls and encouraging them in holiness and Christian joy. They pursue reconciliation. A committed member strives to repair breaches as quickly as possible, even before continuing in public worship. They bear with others. Ministers of reconciliation must be patient and long-suffering. They must be characterized by meekness such that they do not think more highly of themselves than they ought. He says, they prepare for the ordinances. Baptism and communion are privileges that give us visible proclamations of the good news that Christ died for sinners and rose again to eternal life. Believers live out the love of Christ when they rejoice at the baptism of new believers, and, and he examines his heart in preparation for joining the family of God at the Lord's table. And then he says they support the work of the ministry, gives resources, time, and talent to the furtherance of the gospel in the local church. He lives out the Bible's call to the body of Christ. That, I think, is a powerful picture of what it looks like to see our love perfected in the fellowship of God in in God's church. That's a helpful picture of what truly loving believers look like. And my prayer for you is that you will never stop learning what it is, that you will always be pursuing more wisdom and more obedience in learning how to love one another. God will bless that. God will bless that. He will send out you as missionaries and messengers into this community, as messengers of light and truth to people who need Jesus Christ.